As I get started this morning, I'm going to show you a video, okay? Um, this is probably my all-time favorite video ever. Now, there was one other video I saw a couple of weeks ago where this, this dog, like, body slammed a cat, and I thought, man, that is awesome. But this still doesn't overtake this one as the number one video ever posted on social media. Watch this video. I think I've watched that video like a thousand times. I laugh every single time. My wife's like, please, stop watching that. Please, please. You know, I, I love that video because uh, it's all about leadership. Today, as we continue our series called TGIM, Thank God It's Monday, we are, we're actually finishing that series today as we focus on leadership. And I'm going to get back to the video in a second, but uh, as we've been through this, this series, we've talked about many aspects of, of what it looks like for us to enjoy the work that we do. And so we've talked about changing our attitude uh, and how God can use that to bless others. We've talked about balance. We've talked about small things. We, we've talked about difficult people last week. And this week, again, we're going to talk about leadership. Because every time I look at that video, I think, isn't that the epitome of leadership? So you, you got a mom there, and she's trying to teach and train and show her kids how to, how to dive into the water. And she does it, and she's got perfect form. And then there's that first kid, and what's he do? He, he sort of does it, right? He's watched mom. She's kind of trained him. And so he jumps in, still belly flops, but at least he's got a little bit of a form that's happening there. And the third kid's like, oh, well, and he just lean, <laughs> leans right into it. There's no structure. There's no form. And I think, again, it's kind of the epitome of how leadership works. Many of us in this room are leaders. And in fact, every single one of us in this room is a leader. You, you may not think you are, but you are. Whether you lead in the work world, you lead in our government, you lead in the military, you lead at home with your children and your family, all of us are leaders. And yet, as we lead people, many times we find we try to train them and we show them how to do certain things. And, and some people kind of get it and they kind of try. And then other people, they just don't care. They just put their hands together and they flop right into the water. But here's the deal. You and I, we have this idea that leadership is a position. That leadership is a title that we carry along with us every single day. The reality is that's not leadership at all. Leadership is all about influence. If we define leadership, here's how it would best be defined, I think. Leadership is any time you attempt to influence the thinking, beliefs, or development of someone else. Now, let me read that one more time. Anytime you attempt to influence the thinking, beliefs, or development of someone else, that is what leadership is all about. And so if you really think about that, every single one of us in this room is leading in some way. Today, again, as we finish this, this series, I'm going to talk about what I think is the most important thing that you and I can do in our work world. And, and again, what we're talking about today isn't just for those of us who have a job we go to. It's the job that we have within our homes, taking care of our kids. Because influence is so powerful. It's not about a position. It's not about some title that we carry. It's about the influence that we have on the lives of others. But of course, we get that confused. We're going to look at a story, an event that took place in Jesus' life out of the book of Mark. 
you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, you know someone who's looking for a Bible, please take one of those with you, home with you. It's free. We're not charging you for those, thankfully. Uh, but take those Bibles home with you. If you have your Journey Church app, you can open that up right now and follow along on the notes button. Or you can take your program and read along there too. But in Mark chapter 10, we see this uh, event, this, this conversation that takes place with Jesus and, and a couple of his, his key disciples. Here's what happens. Mark 10, starting with verse 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So Jesus has these 12 disciples that he's chosen. And then he's got three buddies that are really close, really close, tight-knit uh, community of guys with him. James and John, two guys in our story, and a guy named Peter. These guys have a pretty audacious question they ask Jesus, don't they? Like, hey, Jesus, whatever we want, we want you to do that for us. We're going to ask you this question. You've got you to make it, make it happen. And here was Jesus' response to them. He says, what do you want me to do for you? You have those people in your life that kind of ask those dumb, far-fetched questions. And when you hear it, if you've got kids, you know, you probably hear this like every single day. And you kind of put your head down and you kind of chuckle underneath your breath. And you're like, sure, whatever you want me to do. So guys, you know, Jesus is, is in that moment. It's like, all right, guys, what question are you going to ask me here? Verse 37. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. In the book of Matthew, we see the same event as being retold. Uh, a little Bible information for you here. Mark was the first gospel that was written. Uh, some of the events that you see take place in Matthew and Luke are kind of pulled from Mark um, because of the time frame there between Jesus' going back into heaven and when Mark wrote Mark. And so some of these moments, they have these experiences, they hear these stories, they, they're putting history together, and as they're doing that, they don't have all the information, and so they grab some of that from Mark. And so this is one of those moments where we find the same event taking place in Mark and Matthew. But in the book of Matthew, it's a little bit different. In the book of Matthew, we find that it's the mom of James and John who asked Jesus this question. The scholars have kind of debated this. Why is this the case? Well, they came up with this reason. Matthew is trying to protect the disciples, He's trying to say, hey, they're really not power hungry. And Mark's like, nope, <laughs> they're power hungry. They are normal, ordinary people. They're looking for a position. They're looking for a title. They, they want some, some significance in their life. They want to be successful. They're ambitious. Again, I don't know that that's much different than, than you or I. And so they go to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, here's the deal, dude. Um, you're going to be a ruler someday. So here's what we want. You're going to be president. And so one of us would like to be vice president. And one of us would like to be the speaker of the house. This is the role that we would love. This is, this is what you, we want you to do for us. And, and maybe they thought they deserved it. Um, they are a part of the disciples. They're part of Jesus' inner circle of three uh, their dad was more than likely a successful businessman. We find that he employed servants. Uh, it's said that there's probably some, some family connection to the high priest there in Jerusalem. And so they may have had this idea that because of all the connections and the network that they're a part of, that, that maybe they should be the ones that get these, these, these leadership roles, these titles within the moments when Jesus becomes the king of all of Israel, which 
We'll talk about that in a second. But then here's Jesus' response in verse 38. He says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus talks about this cup, and really throughout Scripture, we, we find this description of the cup, and it really is this metaphor of, of life, this life that God has, has given humanity. And, you know, we talk about many, sometimes the cup overflowing. And, and so Jesus here in, in this moment is talking about, hey, can, can you guys drink from not your cup, but, but my cup? Do, do you know what I'm going to experience? And, and if you do, are you going to be able to handle what I'm going to go through? And I love it because it doesn't say, and they hesitated. Or they thought about this for a moment. He asked the question like, yep, we got it, God. We got it, Jesus. We, we, we're in. We can do this. And then Jesus says this to them in verse 39, or the rest of 39. He says, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared Jesus shuts him down he's like guys you have no understanding of what I am getting ready to go to here's the funny part right before this event takes place before this conversation he tells them exactly what's getting ready to happen to him it doesn't connect with these two it doesn't connect with any of the disciples and so here is this moment Jesus is like hey you don't get it you don't get it and by the way guys you're not gonna be able to handle the truth because you don't understand what I am getting ready to go through. And then look at verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love how that begins in verse 41. It says the ten hears about this. They hear about this conversation that takes place, and then they go to Jesus because they're, they're upset, they're mad, they're angry. I'm guessing here's the reason why. It's not because they looked at James and John and were like, oh, these guys are just spiritually inept. I mean, they're, they're so immature spiritually. I think they're mad. They're angry. And, and the reason is James and John beat them to the question. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here just because I, I think I know a little bit about human nature. A boss was away. Jesus was away. And all the workers are kind of together. And what do you do when the boss is away? Kind of talk about the boss, right? And so you have conversations about the boss. You have conversations about the company, about the structure. I'm guessing the disciples are there together, these 12 guys. And they're talking about Jesus becoming the ruler. Like, like they, they think Jesus is going to be this, this king, this, this ruler of this nation. And they're like, hey, guys, what do you think you're going to be? What, what, what cabinet role are you going to get? And, and so they're talking about I'm going to be vice president. I'm going to be secretary of state. And I'm going to be in charge of the defense. And, and so they're, they're having this conversation about this. So I think they're mad because James and John jumped the boat on them. <laughs> they asked the question before they had an opportunity to. And then Jesus again comes back to them and says, guys, you're missing the point. I am not here to be king. I am not here to be the president. I'm not here for some position. I am here to serve and to serve others first. 
Jesus, as he's talking to these guys, he begins to rattle off about the Roman leaders. He's like, hey, think about these guys for a moment. What do they do? They use their power. They use scare tactics. They use fear to get what they want. He's like, hey, guys, not so with you. I think he probably looks at the religious leaders and he looks at them. He's like, hey, they use rules and laws and regulations to control people. And he's like, not so with you. I think he looks at us today in the context that we live in. He looks at our, our global leaders and he says, look, look at those individuals. What are they doing? They're, again, they're using their power. They're, they're using their money. They're, they're using everything that they have for themselves, that this is all about themselves. And he's like, hey, if you're a follower of Christ, not so with you. We can even look in our own political government that we have here in the United States. And, and again, we, we see money and ambition and titles and power and threats that are being used for people to get what they want for themselves. And we sometimes think, hey, this is for the common good, but let's just be honest. I mean, we, we do these things for ourselves. And, and as we're doing that, Jesus is like, hey, if you're a follower of Christ, it's different. Not so with you. That's such a powerful statement that Jesus makes right here to his disciples. He's like, hey guys, what you desire, what you want, what you think is what you need, this political power, these titles, these positions, that's not important. It's about who you are. It's about what you have become. It's about following me. And here's how you truly lead. Here's how you really influence people's lives. You serve first. He says, not so with you. Again, as I said a little bit earlier, leadership is not a position. It is not a title that we carry. It is the influence that we have on other people. And if you and I have authority over anyone, even our children, guess what? It's all about the influence that we have on them. And it begins by serving them. And I think Jesus makes that adamantly clear here in the book of Mark. In 1970, Robert Greenleaf coined the phrase servant leadership, and he's kind of known as the father of servant leadership within the business world. And in an essay, he wrote, The Servant as Leader. Here's the, the first few words he wrote. He says, The servant leader is a servant first. And so many people think, hey, go back to 1970. This is really the beginning of servant leadership. But here's the reality. This is not revolutionary. This has been around for centuries, for a few thousand years. And, and we see it right here with Jesus and this interaction that he has with his disciples. But the reality is servant leadership is very powerful. Because it isn't about a position. It isn't about title. It's about the influence that we have on other people. Some of you may be familiar with Ken Blanchard. He's the author and, uh, and uh, also a management consultant and expert. Um, his best-known book was the 1992 One-Minute Manager. Uh, maybe you've read that. I've read that. It's a, a great, great book. But at the age of 48, he became a follower of Jesus. And as he became a follower of Jesus, he began to read this, the Bible. And as he reads through the Bible, he starts to notice something here. He's like, Jesus is this incredible, incredible leader. But, but there's some weird parts about Jesus because he never travels more than 200 miles from his home. He has only 12 guys that are his followers. And as we know, because if you're familiar with scripture, they're not really the best of the best. And so he doesn't travel very far and he's got this pretty inept group of guys. And yet this, this movement takes place. This, this movement happens. And even today we have billions of people who follow Christ because of that. He's like, what is it about Jesus that made him such an incredible and amazing leader? 
And so he with some colleagues got together and they wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus. And in Lead Like Jesus, they, they try to figure out what is it that Jesus does that is so different than everyone else. Here's what he said. He said, Jesus had certain habits. That there were certain habits that you can attribute to Jesus that really allowed him to be the servant leader that he came to be. And the premise of the book is if you want to be a great leader, why not build the same habits as Jesus? And so in the revisited book they did not too long ago, they talk about two sets of habits Jesus had. He had being habits and he had doing habits. Being habits, B-E-I-N-G, and doing habits. You and I are really good about doing. And so I actually want to take the five habits that, that Blanchard talks about and lead like Jesus. And I want to share those with you this morning because I, I'm pretty sure they are things that we all struggle with to some degree. And Blanchard says, hey, here's my point. Jesus did these things over and over again, and it's what made him such a great servant leader. Now, I get it. He's human. He's divine. He's God's son. I get all that. But, but he still went and did these habits that I think are important for us today. And this is another one of those messages you're going to hear like, I know this stuff, but we're not doing it, <laughs> right? And so what does it look like to have these habits? By the way, I highly suggest if you're in leadership of any type or you are leading people within the business world, grab this book and, and look at the doing habits because it's not quite what you think. It's not the actions that you normally think. It talks about grace and forgiveness. I mean, it, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. But I want to talk again about the, the being habits because I think these are so hard for you and I. Being habits. Here's the first three. I'm going to put these together and you'll understand why in a second. He says solitude, prayer, and scripture. And all of you are like, oh, I know this stuff. Right, I get it. But we don't do it, right? We struggle with this. Blanchard and his crew said that solitude, prayer, and scripture are some of the most important habits that you and I can have. Um, I don't like, I'm not a big book reader, so I don't like re reading books a whole lot, just they're thick, and there's lots of pages. There's not a whole lot of pictures in it. Um, thank you. I like articles. I'm an article reader. I think it's because when I was younger, you know, there used to be this thing called the newspaper that would come to your house every day. You paid for it, but you'd get it. And I would just read the newspaper, I mean, from like cover to cover, because I just, I just love that kind of information. So I think it kind of got to that place where I just enjoy reading things kind of, kind of quick. And so I enjoy reading articles. I, that's what my Twitter feed is for. I'm reading articles all the time from all these different business magazines. And I read a lot about successful people. And so one of the things that they say about successful people, one of the things they do to get their day started, almost every single one, is they spend time meditating. Every single one. They just stop for a moment before the day begins and they focus. And they listen, and they kind of breathe, and they start their day this way. Now, I don't know how many of them are meditating on Jesus, but there's some power behind what we find with successful people. There are these moments where they're kind of getting ready for the day. What's your day like when it starts? Alarm clock goes off, right? Isn't that a terrible name? Alarm clock? That's how we start our day. The alarm goes off to wake us up. And, you know, we go, our alarm clock goes off, and, and then we're just like, oh, I'm just going to sit here in some solitude for a moment. No, yeah, it would be great. We don't do that. We get up and go, don't we? That alarm clock goes off, and it's like, the day has begun. I got to go. And so we start running. 
We run. We run to the shower. We run to brush our teeth. We, we run to shave. We run to fix our hair. We run to put on the makeup. We run to eat. You got kids. You're running around trying to get them ready. And, and then you run to your car and you run them to school and the, the line's too long and you got to commute. And then it's sprinkling just a little bit, which is like four feet of snow here. Nobody can drive when there's a little sprinkle on the, on the ground. And so it sprinkles and it's like an hour and a half and you're weaving in and out of cars because you're running, run, run, or you're running to the train. And then you get off the train and you're running to your office and you get to your office and you only got like three minutes to get this pre presentation done. And, and so you got to get to this meeting. And you're, that's what we do. We run, run, run. We go, go, go. From the very moment our alarm goes off, very few of us stop and catch our breath and rest and find solitude as the morning begins. And yet this is a habit Jesus had. We find Jesus finds these moments of solitude and prayer and scripture in his life. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that's not very normal for most of us in this room. Alarm goes off, we're running, we're going. Let me give you a couple of ideas here that I think could be helpful for this. Because I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this too. This is one I struggle with too. What if we turned our alarm clock into a prayer clock? Well, what if the moment that that alarm clock goes off, we're like, hey, you're not my alarm clock today, you're my prayer clock. And that alarm goes off and you're like, oh, this is my time to pray because more than likely if you're getting up early in the morning because you're running 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 you're probably getting up pretty early and so what if you just stopped for a few moments and and if you're married your spouse is still asleep or they're breathing their breath on you and it's kind of gross and you're like okay this is prayer time it's not gross breath time so so you're just laying there and you're just catching your breath and you're thinking through your day and you're like okay Hey, God, help me to lead well today. Help me to lead my kids well today. Help me to lead my work well today. I've got a big project. God, give me the, the words and, and the, the actions to take that's going to make this, this project be worthwhile. I mean, how many of us just take those first few moments in the morning to do that? It's a great opportunity for us to do and find the solitude and, and to pray. And so what if our alarm clock was our prayer clock? But then here's the other thing I would say. Start your day with Scripture. Start your day with Scripture. Um, when my alarm goes off, I usually grab my phone, and I open it up, and I start reading anyway. And know what you do? Start reading. You're looking at Facebook. You're reading about how everybody else's life is perfect and yours is horrible, right? <laughs> You're looking at Instagram. Somebody just Snapchatted a picture of what they look like in the morning. You're like, please don't ever do that again. Uh, maybe you're reading articles on Twitter. Maybe you're, you're reading the Washington Post. Maybe that's what you're doing. I, I'm going to go on a limb and say that most of us, when our clock goes off in the morning, we start by reading. You can read that stuff later on. What happens if we just take those first few moments and we grab our clock, we grab our phone, and maybe you hit snooze and you don't go back to sleep, by the way. You got nine minutes, which again is really weird, but you got nine minutes. And so for the next nine minutes, you just spend that time just reading Scripture, and catching your breath and praying about your day. And then when it goes off in nine minutes, guess what? You get up and you begin the day. I'm going to go on a limb here again, and I'm going to say that that would change and transform what our days look like. If we just started with a few moments of solitude and prayer and scripture. Now, 
If you need something to help you out, let me, let me give you this, uh, uversion.com. You can go on uversion.com and you can actually set it up. You set up an account. You can set it up to send you a text message or send you through email scriptures each day to read. And it'll pop up on, on your phone. You can get a scripture, you can get a chapter, whatever you want to do. If you wake up at 5.30 every morning, have it set for 5.30. And so when you hit that snooze so you can not go back to sleep, but you can have some solitude and prayer and scripture, it gives you a moment to read some scripture and, and then to take some time to pray. Those are easy things that you and I can do to find solitude in prayer and scripture. These are habits Jesus had, and they impacted his ability to lead others. Because I believe those are the moments he's like, God, why did we pick this inept group of guys to follow me? Oh, that's right, because there's a movement coming. Help me to serve them. Help me to lead them well through serving well. Here's the fourth habit they talk about, community. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. What kind of intentional relationships do you have? Who are those intentional relationships in, in your life? Because, you know, if you, you kind of think about relationships, some of us have been in relationships or are in relationships where we are hurt and we carry pain and there's baggage. How, how many people do we have that are just investing in our life, that are just pouring into us? Many times, that's one of the areas I think followers of Christ where we lack. That we do not have these intentional relationships where people can invest in us and we can invest in them. That we can serve them by, by listening to what they're going through. To be in there in those moments of, of crisis. To supporting them when that pain is there. That doesn't mean we can always fully help them. But there's something about these relationships that we have when they're intentional. And we are pouring into others as they are pouring in to us. Jesus had intentional relationships. He had intentional community. He had a small group that he was a part of. Again, he had lots of friends. And then, then he had his 12 followers. But then he had those three. James, John, and Peter. And if you know anything about their story they were with Jesus at some of the most monumental times in his life. They were there beside him. Again, they weren't perfect. The night he's getting ready to be arrested, they're asleep. But you know what? They were there. And Jesus invested in them. And I believe they invested in him too. That's why we invite people into small groups here at The Journey. You're not going to get everything that you need. In fact, you're not going to get much of a relationship with other people here on a Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. We're in, we're out. Uh, if you're volunteering, you have a little bit of a connection with people. But for the most part, you're going to come in here. You're going you're gonna to be a part of what we're doing here. And you're going to leave. And you're going to think, oh, that felt great. Well, you're not really getting the full effect and that power of, of relationships. And so we invite people to come and to be a part of our small groups. They just started for the fall. And maybe you're like, okay, I should do this. Grab one of those connection cards in front of you. Fill it out. Mark small groups or life groups. We'll contact you this week because we know the power of these groups because they're really intentional in building relationships with each other. You know, I told you um, I read a lot about, about leadership. And for some reason, I read a lot about successful people. I'm not real sure because there's like, here's the 20 things successful people do. And here's the 20 things Chad does. And there's, sometimes they're quite a bit different. But, um, but it says that successful people get up between 4 and 5.30 a.m. every single morning. I hate mornings, all right? 
I hate alarm clocks. I hate 5.30 a.m. It's horrible, horrible to hear that. And some of you tell me you're at work by 5.30, which is like torture when I think about it. Every Thursday morning, almost every single Thursday morning, um, throughout the year, my alarm clock goes off at 5.31 a.m. I make sure to give myself a little bit of extra time. <laughs> I get up, I get dressed, I run out of the house, I go to the Chick-fil-A on Backlick, and from 6 to 6.45 a.m., there are about 10 to 15 guys who show up for our, our men's group there. Um, some of those guys have been with that group since we started it, I don't know, about a year, year and a half ago. And, um, you know, we, we, we talk about life. We talk about kids. We talk about marriage. We talk about relationships. We talk about work. We talk about sports. I mean, anything you can kind of imagine. Um, we, we hear what's going on in each other's lives. We read the Bible. This is really hard for guys. We, we read one chapter of a book of the Bible for a whole seven days. I mean, you just got to read one chapter and then come just prepare, just kind of have some conversation about it. There's no structure to it. We're not like, hey, here's the five questions. It's like, hey, what did you get out of this? How, how did this impact you? And so we, we talk about that. And we probably talk about that for based on our time frame there because we got to get guys out at 645 so you guys can go out and save the world. And so we, we, we do our best to probably get about 25 minutes worth of conversation. And at, at about 640, we spend time praying together. It's like, hey, guys, what's going on in your life we need to pray about? And we share our prayer request. 645, we're done, we're out. I, I love that because here's what I know. Here's a group of guys that are praying for me during the week if I've said, hey, here's something that I'm struggling with. Here's something going on in my family because... On a Sunday morning, or if I, I see them later on in the week, they may shoot me a text message. Hey, I just want to check in on you. How's this thing going? And then I hear those prayer requests and what they're talking about, and I do the same thing. Hey, Sunday morning, hey, what's going on? You were praying about this the other day. How did that meeting go? How did that conversation uh, turn out? You know what? It's, it's intentional relationships, and there's power behind that. And again, that's why we ask you to, to be a part of our groups. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Our groups are not perfect, all right? And, and there's people in those groups that are just maybe hard to be around. I get it, but that's not the point. Jesus says, hey, you want to lead? You want to influence people? Serve them first. It's like, that's what I did. I had this intentional group of guys I hung out with, I spent time with, I invested in them, and they invested in me. Oh, and by the way, God used them to change the world. So one of the habits we see is to spend time in community. And then the last one, the fifth being habit that Blanchard talks about is accepting God's unconditional love. This is weird. This is strange. Because this doesn't seem like it fits very well, right? You know, just solitude and prayer and scripture, community, a small group, relationships. I mean, we're like, oh, yeah, that's all the Jesus stuff. I, I get that. But, but why would he say this? Let me, let me actually read his words from Lead Like Jesus because I think these are just so powerful to hear. It says, God's love will change you and by extension change your leadership. You will see leadership differently. It becomes less about power and control and more about the stewardship of the people you touch and of the work God has given you to do. You will see people differently too. Rather than seeing them as a means to accomplish the results you want, you realize that God has the same love for them that he has for you. Work becomes an act of worship and your workplace an outpost of God's kingdom. 
We are an action group here. We are action-based in everything we do. You've got your GDT process in place. You know your to-do list for the week ahead more than likely. And some of you in here right now, you know the Gantt chart. You see it in your mind. And you know what to do what day this coming week. I mean, it's just how we function. We, we think and we act. That's just who we are. We're doers. And yet Blanchard says, you want to really know the power behind leadership? Accept God's love for you. Again, that's, that's kind of strange for him to say, but if you think about Jesus' life, that's exactly what we saw. Jesus accepted God's love for him. Now, granted, Jesus knew why he was here. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was getting into. But at the same time, he's like, hey, God, I am going to follow you because I know you love me. I know you care about me. I want you to think about that for a moment. Aren't we drawn to people who love us? Aren't we drawn to people who we believe care for us and believe in us? We're drawn to those individuals. And as leaders, if we are those individuals, if we serve first out of the love that we know that God has for us, we're going to look at people differently. We're we're not going to look at somebody and say, what are the results I can get out of you? Because this project needs to be done. We're going to look at somebody and say, because of God's love in me, man, I'm going to have a lot of grace for you. I'm going to have a lot of forgiveness for you. We're going to work hard, but at the same time, it's going to change how I work with the individuals around me. It's going to change how I, how I lead my kids because we see and feel God's love deep inside of ourselves. There's so much power in understanding God's unconditional love for us. And I truly believe it will transform us in such a way that it will make us better leaders. So we're not looking at the results, we're looking at the people. Now, some of you are like, does that mean I can't fire anybody? Nope. You can still fire people. You can still reprimand people. You know, just because you, you accept God's unconditional love doesn't mean, oh, God is love, so I got to love everybody. I can't do, that's not what we're talking about here. We still got to hold people accountable. But if we accept God's love and we, we hold on to that, even the baggage and the past that we carry, God can use that to change us, which will transform us in the places that we work. And it begins by us realizing that God loves us unconditionally. These five habits that Blanchard and his group talk about, I really think are are so powerful. And again, I I recommend buying the book and, and reading it if you are in leadership of any type, which I think includes every single one of us in this room. But by living out these being habits, It changes who we are. We truly understand what servant leadership is all about. Because as servant leaders, God will use us to change our workplace and to impact the lives of so many. But are we willing to do that? Even with our title, even with our position, are we willing to say, okay, I'm going to serve others first? Our world says it's all about position It's all about title. It's all about where you are in the corporate ladder. And Jesus is like, not so with you. As we come to our time of communion this morning, I hope that those of us that are followers of Christ can hold on to those words, not so with you. That even in our positions of power, I mean, man, this church is full of leaders, You lead in the government, you lead in the military, you lead in the business world, you lead in schools, you lead in your home. I mean, we have a church full of leaders. 
And so if we could understand those words, not so with you, again, it would change us because of this moment, because right now we are being reminded of God's unconditional love 